passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We are live with our UFC 280 post show. I am John Pollock, joined by Eric Marcotte, where we are coming out of the UFC's afternoon pay-per-view offering. And we were going to be going a bit later uh, tonight, uh, but that was when I was scheduling things under my normal non-COVID schedule. But uh, thus, I am I am still uh, COVID positive and thus uh, quarantining. And time is something I have... Uh, excess amounts of so we thought we'd go a bit earlier than the advertised start time uh and eric was more than happy to do this a bit earlier because i know he is counting down to halloween havoc i'm just so excited for the card i don't know what's on it but i'm i'm excited uh, i think chucky's gonna be on the on the card that's a hell of a draw Yes. So that will be coming up later tonight. And we will alert all listeners that Braden Harrington and Andrew Thompson will have their own post show late tonight covering Halloween Havoc. So look out for that on the site. We've also got a brand new rewind to SmackDown that is up two hours of Way and I going through SmackDown and Rampage from Friday night. Uh, so lots of shows to uh, catch yourself up on. But today we are going to be focusing on UFC 280 as the promotion returned to Abu Dhabi. Uh, for an afternoon card, are you uh, yay or nay on the afternoon cards, Eric? What? How does this suit your lifestyle? I'm currently working a job that does night shifts, so the afternoon cards is a is a huge nay. Uh, doing uh, eight hours there and then coming home like, all right, I got a uh, got an hour or two to eat dinner and then straight into seven hours of UFC. It, it did not work for me. Well, my my day has just been a blur of pretty much waking up and like watching fights. All day long. These started at, even with a fight cancellation, these cards, this card started at 1030 in the morning, which is, you know, at 1030 a.m. till 5 p.m., it probably works out to be the exact amount of length that we spend on a Saturday night, but it just feels so much longer when you're starting at like breakfast time and finishing at five o'clock, 530. Oh, I mean, it's your entire day, really. And, and it's like just daylight one fight game, after another, one, one decision after another. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the prelims were something to behold. Yes, we will get into all of that, but they were. Uh, I, I just saw Dana White's uh, press conference with the media, which is uh, Dana White could not hear anybody's question, so everyone asked a question, and then he had to just like point to his ear, and they had a person that had to then re ask the question off mic, and and Dana was just in the uh, I don't want to be asked about fights that I'm not going to be booking in this moment kind of mood, and it was. Um, Anyway, uh, we'll have a few notes coming out of that, but he did announce uh, the attendance 13,400 here at uh, Idiad Arena and there to see mainly uh, Charles Oliveira and Islam Makachev, the main event for the vacant UFC lightweight title. I, I would be curious if you would quiz every person that watched this card that was aware the title was vacant going into this card, because I think 99% of people assume Charles Oliveira is the reigning and defending champion. 
I mean, even though he didn't come into this fight technically as champion, I think everybody perceived uh, him to be the champion at this point in time. Yes. So he was uh, nonetheless coming into this with a 11 fight unbeaten streak while Islam Makachev winning his last 10, going all the way back to his fight with uh, Adriano Martins, who might be a, a, the answer to a trivia question uh, from October of 2015. And Daniel Cormier sliding in a note as the fight uh, is about to begin that uh, Makachev's camp cost nearly a million dollars. Wow. Uh, thank God he got that 50K bonus at the end of the night or else. I mean, how else could he afford a training camp like that? Million dollar training camp. I would love to know the, the, like the breakdown of this, this fight camp that, uh, that what, what, what went into this as, uh, a, a big investment here in, uh, Islam Makachev. So. It, this was a very compelling fight on paper. I would say this is like one of the most intriguing title fights the UFC could make. Um, that, that was at their disposal. Like this to me, I, I don't know how this is going to do business wise, Eric, but I thought this felt like such a big fight from the time it was announced and just all the different ways, um, that it, that it could have gone. How did you feel about this as a, as a headliner? Uh, agreed completely. Like, I don't know if this is going to be a gigantic uh, pay-per-view. I don't know how big of a star is on Makachev is at this point. But, I mean, just as a fan, this was the most exciting matchup that could be made at lightweight. And I was really looking forward to this one stylistically, uh, if not for the personalities and whatnot. So with Oliveira, of course, he has won 11 straight and has just gone through a, a murderer's row here at, at lightweight, um, winning the vacant title from Michael Chandler, then submitting Dustin Poirier last December, and then coming off his submission win against Justin Gaethje in May. But that was a fight where he missed weight by half a pound, and thus the title was technically vacated uh, coming into this one. Uh, Makachev, uh, 11 and 1 in the UFC, winner of his last 10, including uh, four stoppages, but I mean, a massive step up for Makachev. I mean, his last wins, Drew Dober, Tiago Moises, Dan Hooker, and Bobby Green. Like, for all the hype surrounding Makachev, and justifiably so, I mean, to me, th this was leaps and bounds, his his biggest test coming into this one. Uh, no doubt about it, yeah. So is this where you and I both state that we totally saw this outcome happening? He would submit Charles Oliveira in the first round or two, or... Uh, will we be honest, or at least I will be honest, and I, I still lean towards Oliveira in this fight. I just thought that he would withstand uh, punishment from, from Makachev, but ultimately, I didn't think he was going to get finished with strikes by Makachev, and I thought that if this goes to the ground, that Oliveira will just be so slick that this will ultimately become his fight. So um, it was a very, very hard fight to predict, but I was certainly leaning more towards Oliveira than I was Makachev. I was leaning towards Oliveira as well, uh, t to the point in which, like, even though Islam Makachev, as we'll get into, controls the vast majority of this fight, there, there was never a moment that I was concerned for Oliveira until the fight was over. I was like, oh, he just lost. That's it. <laughs> it starts with a combination from Makachev right out of the gate, and Oliveira's going for a body lock to take him down, and it's Oliveira on his back, and they make their way back up to the feet, and there's a takedown with Islam landing on top into Oliveira's guard, and Oliveira sneaking in 
an upkick near the end of the round. So Makachev coming out strong in the first five minutes. In the second round, they're battling on the fence, and Oliveira goes for this flying knee attempt, and it's the opening for Makachev to drop him with a right hand, and Islam goes to the ground, and from there, he starts working towards a head and arm choke, secures it, and it is in very deep, and he doesn't even have to, it it looks like he doesn't even have to um, adjust his hips too much. It is locked in, and Oliveira taps out at 3 minutes and 16 seconds of the second round, and Islam Makachev is the new UFC lightweight champion. A pretty pretty thorough performance from Makachev, and uh, playing out his prediction that he wanted to submit the man who has the most submissions in UFC history in Charles Oliveira. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Charles Oliveira get submitted before. It's not like this is... Uh akin to submitting Damian Meyer or something. I'm not going to pretend it's like that, but Oliveira does have the all-time record for submission wins, and he has looked... I won't say he's looked unbeatable, because that's the furthest thing from the truth. He has looked very beatable, but despite that, he's come back to win over and over and over again, and by this point, I was kind of just expecting that to be the case again. You know, uh, Makachev is winning now, Makachev dropped him, and I'm still thinking, eh, Oliveira is going to come back like he always does, but... Magachev is the first fighter that Oliver has fought in a long time who wasn't afraid to tangle down on the ground with him. I mean, how many times have we seen Charles Oliveira get dropped and his fighters just kind of back off, allowing him to recover because they don't want to engage him on the ground? Islam did not mess around with that. He went right down after hurting Oliveira and finished him immediately. And that's the difference between a fighter on the level of Islam Magachev and guys like Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. Yeah, I mean, with with some some of those uh, fights that that you just listed, like we saw, you know, Charles Oliveira very much just try to lure them into his game on on the ground and standing as well. Like we saw him, you know, attack the body of of Justin Gaethje, and that and that would like pay dividends later on in the fight for him as well. Like it seemed in this fight with, with Oliveira. He was just in there with somebody that was not intimidated of where this fight went in in any circumstance. And when they got down to the ground, I mean, it was Makachev that was just instinctually going for this head and arm choke and ha- had it applied very, very deep. It just seemed to be um, just instinctual. Um, there was no hesitation from him to to go to the ground. That was something unique that we saw here uh, when, when it relates to the opponents of uh, Charles Oliveira. But uh, Makachev, I mean, felt like the real deal here and somebody that I think um, it looks like they already have his next fight to, uh, scheduled because afterward it is uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov is there with him for the post-fight speech and says that they want to fly to Australia to take on Volkanovsky. And they ask Islam Makachev if this is what he wants. And he says, where is Volkanovsky? I can't see this short man. And they bring the short man into the cage. And Volkanovsky is down to fight in Australia for the lightweight championship, um, which is a hell of a fight. Um, it sounds like a great fight. And uh, Volkanovsky was the backup fighter who had actually weighed in in case there was any issue between these two fighters. So it does feel like they have... Uh, Dana White doesn't book fights the night of the card, but they do shoot angles to set up those fights. Whether they happen or not, uh, we will see. Um, You know what? I, I do think that the, this one is going to happen. Prior to uh, the fight result, Dana White has been saying that Volkanovski will be next in line to challenge the winner, regardless of who it is. And I think that's the perfect headliner for UFC 284 in Perth. I mean, was, was there a more ridiculous scenario 
that you can recall in recent memory that was thrown out than Charles Oliveira, who was willing to go to Brazil in January to defend the lightweight title against Volkanovski and then cut down to featherweight the next month to face Volkanovski in February. He's been going on about moving back to featherweight for years. And it's like, it's never happening, man. You were missing weight by like five pounds every attempt. You are never doing 145 again. But you just missed lightweight. You just missed lightweight (laughs) last fight. So let's, (laughs) let's put those featherweight dreams to rest at this point. But the idea of doing it four weeks (laughs) after you defend the lightweight title, I mean, it was comical to throw out this scenario. Um, but we will see if Charles Oliveira maybe gets on that that January card in Brazil. But uh, Makachev and Volkanovski, that is a fantastic, fantastic fight. I mean, with uh, Kamaru Usman recently being uh, dethroned, I think most people consider Alexander Volkanovski to be the best fighter in the world, the pound-for-pound pound king. And seeing him finally move up in weight after beating you know, Max Holloway three times, Brian Ortega and the Korean Zombie, Jose Aldo, Chad Mendes, he has quite the resume at this point. Seeing him move up and fight somebody on the level of an Islam Makachev is is just a tremendous fight. Are you expecting um, the lightweight championship? Like, is this going to be a title that Makachev can have like a really like an era of of a reign here? Or do you feel this is a title that is going to bounce around all over the place, given, you know, the, the level at 155? I think it depends. It depends on how quickly the current fighters at the top of the division are cycled down in the sense that if he fights uh, the guys who have been fighting for the title throughout the last half decade, I think he's going to rack up a lot of title defenses. Now, if the guys who are currently working their way into the top 15, if these guys really shoot up the division and become the top contenders in quick order, I can't say because a lot of these guys are really good. Yeah, I mean, it does give some renewed life to those challengers that fell to Oliveira, your Poiriers, your Gaethys, your Chandlers. I will say this, and, and people will laugh, but I I think a big winner out of all of this is, is Conor McGregor. If there was a championship uh, fight um, that I think the UFC would do backflips to make, it would be the closest thing they can do to Dana Dana's obsession with Khabib coming out of retirement. This is his next best, best thing, is putting uh, Makachev and Conor McGregor together to try and replicate what they did at 229. Oh, yeah, they'll just give Connor uh, a nice comeback number one contender's fight against, I don't know, uh, Dennis Seaver. And well, if he wins <laughs> that, then, it, then it'll be time for Islam Makachev. <laughs> yes, uh, I love your optimism that they would even put that uh, obstacle in Connor McGregor's way. Dana White did state at the press conference after that Connor would have to go through six months of testing in the USADA pool afterwards. So not outright stating that Connor isn't in the USADA pool, but that would seem to make sense given the um, the uh, realization that this guy has not been tested uh, th- this year by USADA. So um yeah, we who knows what the next chapter of Conor McGregor will be, but uh, his name will always be linked uh, as someone that can just be thrown in and uh, making a mockery of, of such rankings. But a big fight for Islam Makachev, and it would appear like a fairly quick turnaround. Uh, I don't know if you you have a million dollar training camp from now until January. Maybe you just go, you know, uh, mid 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 six figures for that kind of one. But um, that is, I, I'm fascinated to see Volkanovsky uh, come up in weight, um, how that affects his game, because that it's a very, very sizable challenge for Makachev in January. I mean, or fe- goes- February, I should say. February is the Australia card. 
And it it goes both ways. I mean, Islam Makachev is a big guy for Alexander Volkanovsky. So uh, we'll see how that fight plays out, hopefully, at least. Well, we probably did not forecast how this fight was going to play oh, out. Oh, what that a was, disaster. This, I have lots to state, state about this. So the bantamweight title fight between Aljamain Sterling, a guy who I just don't think there's a fight that this guy can take part in, that there's not some controversy coming out of it. Uh, and, and this was absolutely no fault of Aljamain Sterling's, but defending his title against TJ Dillashaw, who has not competed since July of 2021, only had one fight since his USADA suspension. So, um, if you recall, he came back after the suspension, fought Corey Sandhagen, in a fight that was very close. Do you remember who you scored that fight for? I was one of the few who scored it for TJ Dillashaw. It was a very close fight, but he he blew out his knee early in that fight. So he has been out this whole time, but was granted the title fight. And we have referee Mark Goddard there in in the middle. And Sterling is coming off um, quite a strong performance against uh, Piotr Jan in their rematch uh, back in April of this year at UFC 273. So Sterling gets a takedown almost immediately and tries to go for the back. And TJ Dillashaw is indicating that he is in a lot of pain. And they're looking at him that, you know, he was on the verge of tapping here, that he looks like he just went down badly and he gets mounted. Sterling is destroying him with strikes, goes to the back, is landing more shots. And the announcers are indicating that his his left shoulder is out. John Anik makes the comparison to uh, Aaron Pico's recent injury on the Bellator card. So um, all these UFC fans, Aaron Pico, I, I'm not familiar with this man. The so, forbidden door has been opened. Amazingly, Dillashaw makes it to the end of this round. And in between rounds, Dwayne Ludwig comes and pops his shoulder back into place, which did it in a lot less violent fashion than Aaron Pico's corner uh, attempted with, with him. And it's it's definitely a 10-8 round for Aljamain Sterling. But I have so many questions at this point. Like, this dude's arm looks completely mangled. The second round begins, and even with it, like, popped back into place, um, like, he's he's fighting with one arm. He's got one arm to use because the left one is just nullified in, in this. I mean, like, like 10 seconds into the fight, you knew that this wasn't going to be a fight. I mean, but we'll get into it. (laughs) Sterling targets the shoulder. Like, you've got Ray Longo. Just show the man no mercy. And you know what? It's like, you put this guy in the line of fire. Well, like, what else uh, do you expect the uh, Sterling to, to target? He goes for a a Darce choke at one point, and then Dillashaw's shoulder pops out again. He gets mounted, and thankfully, he is finished with strikes. This was so uncomfortable to watch. It ends at 344 of the second round, Aljamain Sterling retaining the championship. And after the fight, Mark Goddard confirms that he was made aware of the injury prior. It was disclosed, which, I mean, it brings up so many questions about the... uh, the the purpose of having any kind of uh screenings beforehand and sending a guy in that had let's be honest he had no business being in this fight this was not competitive he did not have an arm to support himself in this fight um and Dillashaw then states in the interview afterwards he apologizes for holding up the division but he blew his shoulder out in April and that during training camp the shoulder popped out Probably around 20 times. This was insane. I am, uh, 
I don't know like what risks you just assume if you are a sports book or if you are engaging in this, but it felt like just so deceptive that um this was allowed to happen that uh, first of all, like just from the pure health and safety measure, like what is the purpose of these doctors and these screenings if not to protect the fighter from himself? Like I don't put it on TJ Dillashaw to, you know, force himself out of a title fight, but you would hope that the mechanisms are in place that we don't get a fight like this that to me was a travesty that this happened. This fight should have never happened. TJ Dillashaw is not fit uh, fit to compete against anyone, let alone the uh, division's champion. I mean, this was a complete disaster. I have no idea. Like, there's accountability so many ways here. His team, the doctors, the referee. Uh, even he said, like, he, he was going to tell Daniel Cormier and then Cormier. Like, Daniel uh, Cormier on commentary. First of all, they noted the fact he that TJ didn't take part in any of the uh, media workouts. And he was very down during the fighter meetings that they had. And then Daniel Cormier said that uh, TJ told me. I'd like to talk to you about something, but not with everyone else around. And I never caught up with him after. I wonder if he was going to tell me about the shoulder. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, no. I mean, this was just, it, it wasn't good for anyone because, I mean, sh- sure, Aljamain Sterling got the win, uh, a strong win, so good for him. But you'll always have people going, well, he fought against the guy who wasn't fit to compete. He wouldn't have been able to beat anyone. So it's not exactly an impressive win, right? It, it's and so unfair to Aljamain Sterling. Exactly. It's like, completely like, unfair he to him. was in, like, he stated after he had no knowledge even when the shoulder first popped out he wasn't even aware till his corner told him and i completely buy that um you know like what what position was he in here like he gets like this tainted victory um you know and no fault of his own but you know you bring up dillashaw's team and it's a great point because okay i understand the title fights they are very hard to come by tj dillashaw has missed a lot of time because of the usada suspension and injuries at the same time he's 36 years old and after going through this fight i mean yeah it's it's a remarkable story if you go through this fight and win but the odds were greatly against him and with this loss i don't think he gets a mulligan from this one i and this is a deep division like i don't i think this was tj dillashaw's last title opportunity and i mean you you didn't put your fighter in the best position to to cash in on that that potential last title fight of his career well i mean before even talking about tj dillashaw fighting for a title again i mean if he if he requires surgery after this oh this this is a serious serious he's injury. already had surgery on both of his shoulders he's going to be 37 in a couple months this could be the final time TJ Dillashaw ever fights. This a bantamweight, was... like a speed division. Yeah. Like you're right. Like this is obviously a very significant injury. If his arm is popping out to that degree, uh, that amount of times during camp, absolutely he's going to need surgery. And you're right. Like his his career, you have to be looking at it of not just like championship aspirations, but simply uh, coming back from yet another surgery, which you mentioned during the suspensions, he got two shoulder surgeries. Then he had the knee. It, the the knee that blew out last year and now another shoulder like that's that's a laundry list of injuries that are going to be very hard to come by for someone that is yeah closer to 40 than 30 and tj apologized to the division too and rightfully so because i mean any other contender would have been more deserving of the spot uh, as opposed to a fighter who wasn't fit to compete if it wasn't tj dillashaw you know who probably would have got this fight Jose Aldo probably would have got this fight because he was the next biggest name who had a case for the title. 
that would have been a much more interesting fight than uh, Sterling against a man who couldn't fight. Yeah, I I just thought this was really a disaster that all yeah, this happened, agreed. and it just it just to me made like a mockery of your own internal clearance system of how how this fighter gets into the cage. Like, what are the 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 parameters that avoid something like this? Um, it was just I I just feel like if you were someone that you know bought this pay per view or had money on this fight, I mean, you would just be livid. Um, afterwards, and again, like all credit to Aljamain Sterling, he did exactly totally. What he, he did his job. Win. I and, I don't think you can levy any criticism at him. And I don't even fault T.J. Dillashaw. I think most fighters probably would have done the exact same thing he did, but. I mean, if people paid to see TJ Dillashaw versus Aljamain Sterling, they did not get to see TJ Dillashaw versus Aljamain Sterling here. A healthy TJ Dillashaw, like this is a fantastic fight and you just didn't get that. And the fact is like, yeah, sometimes styles make fights and sometimes a fight you hope is going to be great. Whatever reasons a fight disappoints this one from the beginning, it didn't have the opportunity. It was going to be like you knew that from Jump Street that this was not going because you had a physically compromised fighter and fighters will go and hurt. This fighter went in actively injured like he just did not have business being in this in this fight with that state of of his arm. So that is kind of how this fight will be remembered. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc sean o'malley against Piotr Jan, uh, probably the most uh, the most dissension when it came to uh, a, a decision here. A huge jump up for Sean O'Malley, who is ranked 11th in the bantamweight rankings, taking on the number one ranked uh, former champion, Piotr Jan. Uh, O'Malley is coming off a no contest with Pedro Munoz back in July at 276 after an accidental eye poke, and Jan is coming off of the split decision loss to Sterling back in April at 273. So the first round, um, very entertaining round. Um, O'Malley was, was very quick with his jab and it's, uh, O'Malley going to the leg. Uh, Jan enters with these quick left hands and sets up a big double leg and O'Malley gets up from underneath and it's Jan continuing with leg kicks and it's O'Malley who actually gets a, a level change and a takedown at the end of round number one. The second, uh, O'Malley stuns Jan with a straight left, and Jan is covering up and retreating, but then Jan connects with a big overhand left, and he takes O'Malley down, and it's Jan who hits this beautiful standing outside trip, and there's more body kicks from Jan, and he ends up getting... uh his fourth uh, of six takedowns uh, during this round, getting a big double leg off of the fence. 
third round was a big round for O'Malley, where he defends the takedown, drills Yawn with a knee that busts open Yawn and follows with more strikes. Yawn is coming back and connecting as well, shooting for the takedown. And Yawn gets the takedown off the cage and O'Malley gets to his feet. Some short left uppercuts for Yawn and one last takedown at the end uh, for Piotr Yawn. So, Eric, as you traded in your scorecard at the end of this fight, what did it read? It read 29-28 in favor of Piotr Jan. And you gave the third to O'Malley? I gave the third to Sean O'Malley. Yeah, so you and I had the same scorecards here. I thought it was a um, clear round for O'Malley in the third, a clear round for Jan in the second. And I thought like a pretty clear round for Jan in round number one, but that was obviously going to be the contentious round. That It, it was a close round. Uh, in the in the first, did, did you feel it was close, or did you feel it was a pretty solid yawn round? It was certainly competitive, but I did think, like, I, I was surprised to see the judges scored it for Sean O'Malley. Yes, so they read the scorecards, and you know, at the end of this, I thought this actually was a, a great scenario for Sean O'Malley. At the end, I was like, okay, this guy's not going to win this fight, but he so <laughs> overperformed people's expectations that he's going to come out of this greatly upping his stock as a real contender at bantamweight who's just not ready to for for a Peter Yawn but was very competitive and then they read the scorecards and it's 29-28 O'Malley 29-28 Yawn and 29-28 Sugar Sean O'Malley and this crowd just booed and it was like my whole narrative just out the window I was like ah oh, this is the worst for sh-. it's like he wins but he's not viewed as the winner it's like I honestly believe it would have been better if he just lost a split decision or lost a unanimous decision to yawn with this performance behind it but maybe I'm looking too much because this like let's not kid ourselves this very well could propel Sean O'Malley to get a title fight like if they just book it as he beat Yon, and I think Sean O'Malley is going to get a lot of advantages because of the, the kind of star power he brings. Uh, very much so. I, I think going into this fight, uh, Dana White had uh, built this as an effective uh, number one contenders fight between Yon and O'Malley. And I mean, we look at the other options at Bantamweight. There is Marlon Vera, of course, Marab, but he's not willing to fight Aljamain Sterling. And Henry Cejudo, who may or may not return at some point. These are our options. And I think Sean O'Malley is as appetizing as Cejudo and more so than Vera. Uh, looking at the, uh, the, the UFC stats afterwards in the first round, it was O'Malley landing 23 of 55 to 19 of 31 for Yon. Uh, the second round, very close. Uh, O'Malley landing 21, Yon landing 24. And then in the third round, a big round for O'Malley landing 40 of 71 to Yon's 15 of 26. So, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of, um, a lot of anger over this decision, and I feel Jan won this fight. I think that he won rounds one and three. One was close, but I, I do feel like the wrong guy got the win in, in this fight. And you have never heard somebody in Sean O'Malley sound more kind of despondent when Cormier was like, did you think you, you won this one? Which is always code for like the announcers pretty much saying, I didn't have you winning this fight, did you? And O'Malley's like, 
you know, I'm going to have to watch the tape. I, I I don't know. Um, it was just like, I'll take the win, but I'm with everybody. I probably mentally had accepted the loss yeah, before the scorecards were read. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a tough win for Sean O'Malley because on the surface, a win by Sean O'Malley, it's wow, the biggest win of his career. And this is the biggest win of his career. Um, will it be viewed as such, uh, coming out of this? Um, whether fans perceive it to be the biggest win of his career or not, I think it'll be treated as such by the UFC. And from a rankings perspective, I mean, would it shock you if the when the rank when the rankings are updated, Sean O'Malley is the top ranked bantamweight contender? It wouldn't Ooh. shock me. That's a that's a big jump up. Do you feel like this Sean O'Malley is ready for that Aljamain Sterling that we saw tonight? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean. As ready as he'll ever be. It's just a st- with Aljamain Sterling, it's always a stylistic clash, right? He's Aljamain Sterling is almost always going to be the weaker striker in a matchup against anyone at Bantamweight, and he's almost always going to be the stronger grappler. So if Sean O'Malley fights five more opponents, will that prepare him for Aljamain Sterling any more than gain Aljamain Sterling in his next fight? I'm not sure it would. If they want to go that direction, it's fine. Oh. I'll say this. There was a lot of doubt um, when this fight was made. Sean O'Malley impressed me greatly in this fight. Like the headline is going to be the decision. But, you know, watching this fight, Sean O'Malley is a lot more than just like he's got the substance to match the the style that that he has. Like I thought this was a very competitive fight and he fought the, you know, the number two bantamweight in, in the company and was very competitive with him. So I, I mean... I thought, like, had he lost this decision, his stock is upped. He gets one more kind of a top 10 bantam or top five bantamweight before he's ready for the title fight. But coming out of this, I think there'll be a lot of forces at play that will drive the UFC to want to put Sean O'Malley into a headline position against Aljamain Sterling next year. So um, Henry Cejudo could upset that, but um, that's... And- that's if, sort of what they're looking at. If they do go of Cejudo, then there are other options for Sean O'Malley as well. I don't believe he's ever been in a five-round fight, right? Mm-hmm. You can do a fight night event headlined by Sean O'Malley in a rematch against either Jan or Marlon Vera. He also said at the press conference that uh, he, he's pretty sure he'll be uh, renegotiating his contract after this fight. So uh, <laughs> I he, bet. That's his next fight. Uh Matosh Gamrot versus Benil Dariush. So Gamrot is coming off his win over Armin Sarukian back in June. And uh, Dariush, who the poor man, he's won seven straight fights. And I mean, guy could probably win 13 straight (laughs) fights. And I I don't know how closer he's getting to a a lightweight title fight. I mean, he is just um, he's in a super stacked division and he is not a big name that stands out among that top five, unfortunately. But he's uh, the Leon Edwards of lightweight. It's a good comparison. So, um, another three rounder here, uh, Gamrot winning the, the first round. They, they were, they had a really nice scramble at the beginning and, uh, Dariush had a uh, figure forward the legs and then it's Gamrot, uh, continuing with back control and exchanging leg kicks at the end of the round. The second, uh, Dariush lands with a hard knee, connects with a left and a head kick. Gamrot finally gets one takedown at the end, uh, only one for six on his takedowns in the second round. And the third, it's uh, more of Dariush here who is just stopping all of Gamrot's takedowns. I think it was like 13 of 16 that he stopped throughout this. Dariush blasts him with this left hand that sounded like a gunshot went off in the arena. It was so damn loud. And Gamrot goes down, but he, miraculously continued and then um 
yeah, it was it was Dariush on his way to this decision victory. Uh, I gave Gamrot the first round and Dariush uh, the second and third. The judges had it 30, 27, twice, 29, 28. And uh, Dariush afterwards said that, um, you know, he gave uh, a speech about God. And if he was closer to the UFC championship, doesn't matter to him because his crown from God, that's his championship. So he's he's not complaining about not getting a title fight. He's cool with just continuing to fight infinity and beyond. Uh, he will just fight lightweight after lightweight after lightweight. And maybe one day everyone will be injured and they'll need a last minute contender and he'll be ready. He was just being realistic. 10 more wins is probably what it's going to take for him to actually get a title shot. This was actually the least crazy uh, Benio Darius interview in a long time because his last two or three post-fight interviews have all been like off the deep end. So this was this was more grounded by comparison. Yes. Um, what was your score for the fight? I scored the fight exactly the same as you, same rounds and all. So Gamrot uh, sustains a loss, and uh, and Benil Dariush will probably be in around the same spot as he was going going into this fight. I mean, to to watch this guy, and then he's got to watch Volkanovski just get called out at the end. I mean, I don't think Dariush is holding his breath either, as though no. it's like, oh, he, now he I did. finally made it. He's a realist. It's and that's a good trait to have in this promotion. Uh, it, it's all about an opponent for him, really. If he somehow finds himself across in the octagon from like Dustin Poirier or even a Charles Oliveira, if he was able to beat one of those guys, I could see him actually gain that title shot. But if he keeps fighting guys lower in the rankings than him, it's just never going to happen. Well, maybe he will become a contender killer, as has been the the mantle that has been taken up by one Caitlin Chukagian, who was coming yes. in to take on the latest rising flyweight in a. French fighter Menin Furore and uh, Chukagian, very uncharacteristically, missing weight on uh, for, for this fight by 1.5 pounds on Friday. So Chukagian's deal is she got her title fight and is probably going to need um, th- like the jaws of life to ever pry another title fight out of this company. Um, there was the talk that, you know, her contract was up and she was on a winning streak and she was talking about the fact she might not be brought back. Like, unfortunately, it's not the most pleasing style. It is almost a, it is a guaranteed decision every time out. And she, she beats a lot of like rising stars like Cynthia Calvillo gone. Viviana Ujo beat her. Jennifer between these two fighters, they have beat Jennifer Maya three times. Uh, Amanda <laughs> Hebos, she beat back in May. It's like Chukagian is like, you could certainly say going into this fight, she's the second best flyweight, but she's an area code away from Valentina Shevchenko. Like it's just, she's in this role where like, what is the value of, that's fighter other than like she's going to defeat contenders in a division that is so desperate for them and she's a great fighter but i don't see her ever getting another title fight again like it was is going to take whatever dariush whatever his roadmap is (laughs) i was just double it's double for chukagian okay because she's got a longer path than dariush towards a title if she ever wants another title shot she's going to need that like divine intervention that dariush was talking about in his post-fight interview because that that's her only path i mean she's like She's like the modern uh, John Fitch or Jake Shields, not in the crazy Twitter sense, in the sense that their spot in the division after they had their title fights, they are dull fighters who are going to knock off a lot of contenders. And the second they lost the fight, 
the UFC was like, okay, you're gone. That's it. We do not want you here anymore. And Kaylin Chikagian is 100% aware of that. So this this was a tough loss for her. That being said, I, the women's flyweight division is is not good. There's not a lot of contenders, so she may have a bit more job security in that sense. Yeah, the uh, the first round began. Um, Chikagian landed a uh, a front kick that uh, c- kind of grazed her at the side. There were several uh, kicks landing at the end for Chikagian. Uh, Fiora then put on a lot more pressure in the second round. Started landing with her, with her left hands and using these side kicks along with her right hooks. Third continued this uh, this rhythm for uh, Fiora as she gets out of the way of the offense. Little was landing for either. There were some looping strikes from Fiora and then a takedown. They're back to their feet quickly, and it was to be a coin flip round at at, at the end. This was not the most exciting fight, but I had it a twenty nine twenty eight for uh, Menon Fiora, and she won by unanimous decision. All three judges scoring it twenty nine twenty eight. And when she was asked afterwards with her translator uh, what she wants next. Like the answer was, ba- and this was being translated, was, um, you know, like title fight. It was like, you know, yeah, it, it, yes or no, we, we could, we could take it, we could leave it. And like, yeah. man, really lit a fire under everyone to be demanding this, this title fight afterwards. After, you know, you have as much of an argument as any flyweight in this promotion, uh, for a title fight after beating Caitlin Jukagan. Uh, I took that as her trying to say, I'm not interested in that fight right now. I would rather fight other contenders, get myself ready, and uh, maybe pick up a bit more experience. I don't think she wants that fight right now. And Valentin Shevchenko, maybe she can just do some like exhibitions in the in the cage instead of title defenses. Like she can just come out, do like her dance, and um, <laughs> you know, come up with alternate ways to uh, promote Valentina Shevchenko. It's just the Talia Santos rematch for her right now. I mean, a split decision in her last fight—that's probably the most interesting thing they can do uh, for for Firo. I mean, to beat Caitlin Chikagian, uh, you know, somewhat decisively. It was a close, not most impressive fight, but. Uh, to get the deci- somewhat the size of win over is an impressive feat. Uh, Not many people beat Caitlin no. Chukagian. If you look at her losses, I think it's two split decisions, and then her two like one sided losses were to Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica Andrade, who are two of the top female fighters of all time. So. That kind of, even though she's not a fan favorite, she's not an exciting fighter. It kind of tells you the level that she's at, and to beat her in Firo's uh, fifth UFC fight, that is quite impressive. Yeah, um, and has an unbeaten streak that now extends to, I think this was her 10th fight in a row that, that she has won. So, um, we will see what, what she gets next. I mean, um, you know, you have all these other people that are clamoring for title fights. She just seems like, uh, I don't know. That's a lot of work. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens next. Um, We'll, we'll, uh, we'll breeze through the prelims here. Probably the most, uh, interesting one was, uh, Sean Brady, who was undefeated coming into this fight at 15 and 0, taking on Bilal Muhammad. Remember the name, Eric. Uh, Muhammad unbeaten in his last eight fights, and he's coming off decision wins against Demian Maya, Stephen Thompson, Vicente Luque, and, uh, has not lost since early 2019, and had Khabib Nurmagomedov in his corner as well. So Nurmagomedov, very busy on this card. Um, first round was very, very close. The two are um, landing with right hands late in the round, very even on the feet. Uh, Bilal came on late and then goes to the body. Second round, uh, it's Bilal who's uh, using his jab, and Brady comes back with a combination. Uh, Brady could not get his takedowns going. He was 0 for 4 on takedowns, and then Muhammad just starts opening up and land some big shots near the end. Brady looks wobbled and Muhammad just went on 
on special mode here. He is hitting him with everything, uppercuts, shots to the body, and did not tire at all. And the referee steps in to stop it. I thought it was a very good stoppage. Uh, 447 of the second round, and Bilal Muhammad uh, gets a major win in the UFC's welterweight division, um, stopping Sean Brady, who was... um This was a big fight for Sean Brady, who people have been very, very high on um, ending his unbeaten streak. I mean, uh, going into this fight, I was actually dreading this bout because on paper, Sean Brady and Bilal Muhammad uh, sounds like a very dull fight with a lot of clinch clinching against the cage. You know, 15 minutes of clinching in a circle. Both guys being too strong to be taken down. That's not the fight we got. We got a pretty entertaining 10 minutes scrap between two guys who are just willing to throw down. Um, there are a few things rarer in this sport than a Bilal Muhammad finish, but that's exactly what we got on this card. And that's exactly what Bilal Muhammad needed to uh, add to his highlight reel, uh, cement himself as a genuine top contender in the division. Yeah, I, I'd be very interested like where this places him in um, that super deep welterweight mix. Like, There's a lot of interesting names that you could pair with a Bilal Muhammad, but this was the kind of performance he, he really needed. Like, You did not want to have just a you know, some routine decision win on this card. I think this was you know, the, the kind of fight that is going to propel Bilal Muhammad and get some steam behind him as well, because uh, now everyone knows the name. Everyone, everyone remembers the name, but uh, this was exactly the performance he needed. I mean, you mentioned some of the names that he's been recently, like Damian Maya and Vicente Luque and Stephen Thompson. But can you remember a single thing about any of those fights? I think very few people can. People will remember this. And, uh, you know, he has history with the champion, Leon Edwards, of course. They had a, a fight that ended in a no contest not too long ago. So uh, that's something for him to start building towards. Yeah, I mean, it looks like, um, obviously Edwards and, and Usman are going to have their rematch. And for, for Muhammad, um, yeah, like you've got ahead of him in the rankings going into this. You had like Gilbert Burns, Chemayev, Covington, and then Usman. Like that's who you are, uh, staring up, uh, up towards. You know, we, we've heard of Covington and Chemayev's names linked together. So, I mean, it might sort of be, but Muhammad just sort of on the sidelines until some of these fights play out and and then see where where he fits in. Uh, this is certainly not a guy who I think will be fighting for the title next, but um, yeah, the, there, there's there's some big names at, at welterweight at at his disposal. Uh, Kyle Bohalio took on Mahmoud Muradov. They went uh, three rounds. Um, a lot of decisions we're going to get into here on, on the prelims. These were not the most uh, entertaining undercard fights that we had, but, uh, Bohayo won 30, 27, 30, 27, uh, 29, 28. Um, I had, uh, Bohayo winning the first and third rounds and, uh, Muradov winning the second round. Um, a more competitive fight than maybe some people thought, but, um, Muradov, you know, he is, he, he showed, at least in this, in the second round, uh, his ability to escape from underneath. He got mounted several times in this fight, but overall it was, uh, Bohayo here who was, um, uh, the better the better grappler and you know winning two of the three rounds on my scorecard i had the same scorecard as you i mean murdov uh, his grappling impressed me considering that that's not his background and he was fighting such a high level grappler but uh in the end the result was expected yeah Volkan Ozdemir and Nikita Krylov. This one I thought was going to go three minutes tops, um, and it went three rounds tops. Um, Ozdemir came out, and I thought my prediction was going to be safe. If not, um, 
ambitious and expecting it to go three minutes because Ozdemir stunned him early and is just destroying him with strikes. Krylov comes back with a flurry. He stuns Ozdemir, who loses his balance and then goes for a rear naked choke from the back. Um, but he's out of time at, at the end. And then Krylov gets his second wind in the second round. He's coming back with head kicks and gets a series of takedowns. He got five, uh, by the end of the second round and then more takedowns in the third round and is inside Ozdemir's guard and pretty much just uh, controlled him on top as he rode his way to a decision here. 30-27, 29-28, and 29-28. So after a threatening first round where I thought Ozdemir was going to put him away, uh, it's Krylov who seals rounds two and three and gets the win over Ozdemir in the always chaotic light heavyweight mid mix of people that will, will probably not be um contenders in in the future but a fun fight nonetheless I, I feel like every fighter in the entire division is in that mid mix like you can take a guy who's not even ranked and put him against prahashkar to share and they could easily win just as easily as they could be snuffed out in two minutes yeah, it's a it, it's an interesting division that is sort of just like the this weird eclectic mix of uh people at different points of their career. <laughs> and and stunningly like Nikita Krylov who's just been around forever is 30 years old. I know that blew my mind. I could not believe it when I saw it. I thought that man must be at least 36, 37. <laughs> He's 30 years old. He's just hitting his prime, Eric. He's just did this, you know, Al Capone has just been, it's just been an audition for his thirties. He's, he's ready to go on a run. I, I thought Krylov was shot like six years ago and, and now here he is just 30 years old, uh, beating Volcan Ozdemir and Alexander Gustafson. He's already on his second run here in the company. I mean, he I had know. one, he left and then he came back. Um, Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov, who is the cousin of uh, Khabib, took on, let's get this right, Gadri Omar Gadriev. And you can imagine it was John Anik doing the heavy lifting on the uh, pronunciation of, of this one. Uh, Nurmagomedov, um, the, the first round was the closest round, but I thought Nurmagomedov won all three rounds here. It was a lot of just being able to take down Godry to the ground, control him on top. It was not the most entertaining fight, but he just shut down Godry and did so in pretty unspectacular uh, fashion. There wasn't a legal knee in the second round, although no point deduction for Nurmagomedov, who got the decision 30-27 and 229-28. Um, but not a fight I think you will remember after watching this card. No, I've legitimately already forgotten it. I have no memories of this fight. Yeah, you were too focused on uh, Armin Petrosian and uh, AJ Dobson. Another decision. Petrosian winning by unanimous decision. 30-27 across the board. This was most notable because AJ Dobson had Mark Coleman in his corner and uh, he seemed to get frustrated at uh, certain parts. Um, as this fight like went on, um, you know, Dobson got a late takedown in the first round and then there was concern over Petrosian's knee by the announcers um, but the knee was fine in the second round and as the fight wore on it was like Dobson was just sort of not engaging all that much it was like it was as much Petrosian just taking the fight by default as it was you know this competitive um, outcome uh, it just seemed Dobson was just trying not to get struck and Petrosian won this fight 30-27 uh, across the board another rather uneventful fight on this undercard yeah not the most interesting fight when Dobson did commit to his attack he was doing damage but it was just so rare that Petrosian won based on activity alone really uh, not a memorable fight or a great performance from either fighter really and then uh, Muhammad Mokayev in the flyweight division defeated Malcolm Gordon. Um, 
you know, Gordon at least put up uh, a fight here. He was he was taken down, which was kind of inevitable in this fight that that is where the fight would go and was at least active off of his back to try and uh, create problems for uh, Mokayev. But it was still Mokayev's fight. And in the third round, he was uh he was on top and then from his back secured the arm and got the tap with uh, 34 seconds to go in the fight. So Mokayev said this was a hard weight cut for him, uh, but he's only 22 years of age and did a nice interview afterwards. He was also the biggest favorite on this card at minus 1150, which were pretty astounding odds for uh, this undercard fight. I will say he did not look like a minus 1150 favorite. Like he won the fight, but uh, those odds were. This was a much closer fight than (laughs) those odds uh, told the story. And we opened things up uh, hours and hours and hours ago with uh, Carol Hosa defeating Lena Landsberg. Um, This was most notable. There was an illegal knee delivered to Landsberg and uh, Landsberg was asked, are you okay?" She's like, I'm fine, but you better take a point. And they took a point. So there was a point deduction in the second round. Did not matter. Hosa won the the first round. She won the second round. Well, the second round was a nine nine. So that was easy. And then Hosa won the third round, um, landed a spinning back fist near the end. It just outstruck her. Lena Landsberg was really not competitive in this fight. And it was a 29-27 twice and one judge having it 28-28. So it was a majority decision win for Carol Hosa. I think I had a 28-28 as well. I, th- I think I gave Landsberg the first round just because she scored a knockdown in like the first five seconds. That's right. She yeah. stunned her with the right hand, and then Rosa came back and kind of controlled her for the rest of the round. So th- that was Landsberg's high point was that that right hand she the, landed the, in the, the first it was, it was a great first five seconds for her, and then everything just kind of fell apart, you know? You know what? At least just like start off on a high. That's it. <laughs> and that was a, that was UFC 280. Um not not the most engaging undercard. This was a very long undercard uh, up until I would say the uh, the, the Brady Muhammad fight. Uh, but a main card. Wh- what did you think about the main card? This was hyped up as you know the the best UFC main card of the year. Um, did it live up to those lofty expectations? Um, I, I don't think it did live up to those expectations. Like it was a fine card. I wasn't complaining about it afterwards, but it was just a pretty average pay-per-view. I think uh, with the, the Dillashaw Sterling fight going as it did really took a lot of wind out of the sails, I think, because that was, that, that should have been a very uh, engaging high level fight. And instead it was just something that should have never happened. Yeah. I think that was the one that maybe left a, a bad taste in people's mouths afterwards that here was a fight that like, th- this was never going to be anything. Like this was just like, get, get this guy into the cage. Like, let's just deliver whatever we can out of this fight. Like that's what it felt like. It Rich was Flair's just, last match. Well, it was, uh, we will see if it's, uh, TJ Dillashaw's last fight or, or not, but, uh, he is likely facing surgery next. So that doesn't look like a great prognosis for TJ Dillashaw in the months to come. Uh, but that wraps up, uh, UFC 280. They get a whole week off and then they're back next week too. Eric's favorite place on earth, the UFC Apex, the cavernous, empty UFC Apex, where they will have a hell of a main event next weekend, a featherweight fight between Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen and uh, a crowd favorite, Tim Means, taking on Max Griffin. So this is very much a, a well, I was going to say a fight night card, but man, this this under under Arlovsky is on the prelims of this Apex uh, fight night card. Like, what do you have to do to just get Andre Arlovsky onto a main card of an empty Apex show? If Andre Arlovsky uh, is ever, if he ever records a finish again, he'll be allowed back onto main cards. But until then, not happening. He's relegated to the prelims. 
Uh, the next time that we will be here is the weekend of UFC 281 when they return to Madison Square Garden and they have about uh, 58 fights announced for this card, which will be headlined by Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira for the middleweight championship. Carla Spars is back, um, you know. Uh, coming off that fight of the year with uh, Rose Nami Yunus, she will be making her first defense of the strawweight title against Zhang Wei Li. And we've got Dustin Poirier against Michael Chandler, Brad Riddell against Hanato Moicano, uh, Claudio Puez against Dan Hooker, um, Frankie Edgar's retirement fight against Chris Gutierrez, Dominic Reyes is fighting on this card. Um, there's, there's quite a lot on this this card. How How is UFC 281 stacking up so far, Eric? I think it's a great card. I think it probably looks better than UFC 280 even. I mean, there's a lot of really exciting fights on this one. Uh, Frankie Edgar's retirement fight, uh, sure to be sad, emotional. Can't wait to see him in the PFL next year. Uh, lots of good stuff. Uh Poirier and Chandler. I mean, if no one gets hurt, that should be that should be fireworks. That's a fight of the year candidate right there. Yes. So uh, that is the next time that uh, we will be live. But you can always catch Eric Marcotte's reports on the site up at postwrestling.com, including tonight's UFC 280 show. The man doing double duty writes about it, talks about it. Uh, you you get all your great MMA coverage here from Eric Marcotte. So um, do you want to alert everybody to where, where your uh, your thoughts and meanderings exist on, online, Eric? Where can people follow you? As John said, all my written work is at postwrestling.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, EricMarkot705. I'm a very boring follow, though. Instead, you should go talk to me at postwrestling.com slash Discord, where we have a lively MMA channel, wrestling channel, and all sorts of other fun things. I, w- I was trying to drop in there. I uh, You I, did. that. I, I, I lurk. I lurk. The, the monthly UFC pay-per-view is when you may get to communicate with John Pollock in the Discord. That is, that is when he makes his appearances. You never know when I'm in may uh, drop in uh, next weekend in in addition to uh, Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen will Eric be watching Anderson Silva versus Jake Paul no not a chance that sounds that sounds depressing isn't Uriah Hall fighting like a football player or something on that card I feel like that's a thing that's happening too yes um he he is so that that that's happening as well um, I'm trying to keep <laughs> all these these cards straight because we got the May, the Mayweather Fight with uh, what is it? KSI's brother or KSI's what? cousin? Oh yeah, that's on. Oh, that's my. that's the card where Bobby Fish is boxing. Um, <laughs> Bo- boxing. Uh, th- this celebrity boxing has just gone off uh, the rails. So what a disaster! Yeah, I, I can't say I'm all that interested in uh, Jake Paul and Anderson Silva. It just feels like it, no. it's a week away. It doesn't feel like it's really caught on to any degree of what they were hoping for. I just I just feel like the experiment is kind of it was it was novel. During the pandemic, and it just feels like it's run its course by now. And it depends on the opponent too. With Ben Askren, you had someone who can really—he's uh, an engaging personality. He knows how to get people interested in things. Tyron Woodley, less so, and I think you saw that in the interest the pay per view buys. Anderson, Anderson Silva's not even going to be disrespectful. He's just—he's the biggest name of the bunch, sure, but he—he's like forty-eight years old. He's—he doesn't care. Will you watch the inaugural Dana White power slap? fight league <laughs> uh, uh i guess they, they ran a promo for it on on tonight's card they're gonna hold a press conference and uh yeah it feels like something that you have to watch once just to be like this is something that happens and then never again but maybe once 
I watched this trailer. I was like, this, like, <laughs> slap fighting is not new, but it's like, man, I feel like it was a joke from like three years ago and it's still going and it just feels like the dumbest thing. There's a lot of that going around in the combat sports world. Well, on that note, everybody, we are going to uh, wrap things up. Thanks to everybody uh, that joined us, uh, whether it was uh, live here for the post show or downloading the show afterwards. Again, tonight, you can catch the Halloween Havoc post show. And a reminder to everyone out there that on Saturday, November 19th, Wei Ting and I are going to be hosting the post-wrestling five-year anniversary show in Newark, New Jersey, QXT's nightclub. Uh, we're going to have many of the post-wrestling community at the show, uh, a live Q&A from us, Brain and Davey doing a pre-show as well, and then a VIP meet-and-greet and event t-shirt for those that get the uh, the VIP tickets. Uh, all tickets can be uh, purchased at postwrestling.com slash live. And uh, with that, we are going to say goodnight to everybody, and thank you for tuning in to our UFC 280 post-show.